Hello and welcome to the DOE Digest, a podcast from the New Jersey Department of Education. I'm your host, Ken Bond. The DOE Digest is a platform for information exchange in which the department highlights the work being done by transformative educators around the state. This podcast is one of the ways that we utilize our digital platform to help strengthen teaching, leading, and learning, and increase educational equity for the 1.4 million students across New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. I'm thrilled to be able to present this month's episode of DOE Digest on extending learning opportunities for students. The New Jersey Department of Education recently released guidance on learning acceleration. In that guidance, there are principles for learning acceleration. And principle number two is ensuring equitable access to grade level content and high quality resources. As part of that, the New Jersey Department of Education believes that students need extended learning opportunities so that local education agencies can create access to and opportunities for well-rounded education. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to two district leaders about what they've been doing in their context to ensure that equitable access for all through extended learning opportunities. I also wanted to share that we at the department are thinking about this podcast and what we can do to make it better and what the things are that you like about it. As such, I would like to ask you to leave a rating and a review on whatever podcast app you use to listen to us so that we can see your feedback and think about how to make this show the best it can be. Thank you so much and enjoy this interview. Uh, my name is Ambrose Duckett, Superintendent of East Hampton Township School District, located in East Hampton, New Jersey, Burlington County. And I'm also a graduate level uh, adjunct professor at uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University. My name is Arlene Rogo. I'm principal of Neptune Middle School in Monmouth County. I'm also president-elect of the New Jersey Principals and Supervisors Association. I want to just start off by asking you if you could explain the importance of extending learning opportunities for students. Why do you think that's important generally, not necessarily specific to your program, but generally? And why should folks be thinking about that during this time as we are looking forward to the 2021-2022 school year? Uh, And why don't we start with Arlene? I think it's it's so nice that you said looking forward to the uh, the 21-22 school year because we're we're so focused on what has happened in the past and that is very important because we have to set that foundation now going forward Um, but we are looking forward to a new start opening um, having all of our students in school in person my district was lucky enough to go back in the fall um, and then we resumed full-time in the spring and we need to look at how our students have adjusted as a result of being remote, in person, half and half, or uh, back full-time in the spring. So I I think it's important every year that we don't have what might be referred to as learning loss over the summer, but especially right now, we need to be looking at everything we can possibly do for our students to make up any lost time and get us back on track for September. So I think it's important all the time, but especially right now. Ambrose, how about you? What's your take on the importance of extending learning opportunities for students and why that's 
so essential and why that's something that you focused on in your career? Sure. I, I uh, firmly believe that the pandemic just highlighted uh, some areas in the educational um, system, primarily access. Um, so what was revealed during the pandemic was that uh, we had a good amount of our students who um, were going to do well um, in person, um, but we're going to struggle with, with remote learning, uh, primarily because um, at home, it's not pick up your pencil and get started. Um, you have parents who are working or not there who are monitoring and the ones who are uh, making sure that the work is getting done. So what we found, and this is looking at our, our data, was that a good segment of our students just were not accessing remote um, learning, remote instruction. So what we wanted to do was to level the playing field and present uh, new opportunities and new opportunities means um, access. Um, and that's like providing busing uh, for after school programs and also for uh, our summer program, summer learning, which we are gonna start just next week, uh, making sure that um, all of our students have access, not just the ones whose parents have transportation or parents who are um, not working. So uh, access is, is critical and uh, opportunities uh, for all students is, is critical. Uh, some students we know are going to be naturally engaged, uh, but we know uh, a good about 30 to 35% of our students um, are going to probably be a year and a half behind. Um, as Arlene stated, Friday, and I believe it was March 13th, uh, we were in school and Monday we were not. And we struggled with 30% of our population um, for uh, 15 uh, school months of getting them engaged. So providing uh, robust opportunities this summer uh, will help level the playing field, but also extending that into the school year, um, after school, before school, and meeting um, individual specific needs of our students. I can imagine a listener to this podcast hearing you talk about the importance of extended learning opportunities for students and what this can mean for them and then kind of thinking, yes, and it's been a really difficult year for both teachers and students, as you both mentioned, and will folks wanna be coming into the school? Will students want to participate? Will teachers wanna participate? As people process that, how are you building excitement? What are the ways that educators that are listening to this podcast can build excitement around extended learning opportunities in their school community. And why don't we start with Ambrose? Our goal um, was to uh, make it uh, campy, a uh, thematic feel to the summer program. So it's not like you're going to summer school. It's uh, like you're going to camp uh, where you're going to have academics inter interwoven into uh, the day. Also, we want to make sure that it's interactive, that children get a chance to uh, do some hands-on learning, which they were not able to do much during the, the pandemic. Um, and I, I believe a big choice, and this is pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, during pandemic, is choice. So um, our program this summer, while it's four hours a day, four days a week, will have um, some opportunities for students to choose um, how they learn and who they learn with. And um, we believe that uh, we make it optional but strongly suggested, especially for those 30 to 35% that we were talking about. Um, and also making sure that the teachers that we hire for the program uh, wanted to work in the program, not necessarily because they needed a check over the summer, but they were excited about working with students 
I'm excited about this opportunity to um, help uh, students who naturally would not be participating in a summer program. And, uh, and finally, a mixed grouping. So um, not all of our students that are going to be in um, during the summer are going to be struggling students. They're going to be students who just need access and uh, they can um, help support our efforts. I mean, this way, uh, it takes away the stigma that because you did poorly in school, you're coming to the summer program. It could just be an access issue or an issue where the parents just were not able to take advantage of remote learning as other families were. So uh, we wanted to put a lighter feel to this, thematic, campy feel, so that students would want to come to our summer program. And uh, we have, I think, 85% of the elementary students we uh, made uh, this available to, took advantage of it, um, slightly lower in middle school, where we're a little bit under 50% of the students we made this available to in middle school who took advantage of it. So what we've done for those 50% who are not coming, we've done an online component to uh, help them out. Excellent. Arlene, how, how about you? What's your view on this idea of building excitement around extended learning opportunities for the entire school community and, and really getting folks engaged and ready, ready to participate in these learning opportunities? Well, speaking from the from the middle school perspective, we had about 70% of our students back full time by the end of the school year, which was wonderful to have uh, kids back in the building, walking the halls and everything else like that. So we have two different programs that we're running. One is a summer accelerated program that's open to all of our current sixth, seventh and eighth graders. So even our eighth graders that are, are going to be going to the high school next year could participate. And our theme is STEM. So we wanted to get them excited. Um, the teachers who are going to be teaching, it's, it's in person, came up with thinking globally, acting locally. And they're going to be, we're, we're, we are right near the beach. So they're going to be doing a water theme, the importance with history, science, looking at uh, different ways of sustaining life as far as landscaping and planting and food acquisition and things like that. Totally optional for any of our students. We've had a pretty good uh, response for that, and that will be starting next week. And then we have another program that we've extended um, since the, the beginning of the school year called our Twilight Program. But now what we're doing is we're calling it for the summer Daylight slash Twilight. It is totally online. Students who did not do well academically were strongly encouraged to take advantage of the program. And other students who, you know, if the parents wanted them to accelerate a little bit, could also sign up for the program as well. I have 10 teachers who uh, some are working in the morning shift and the others are working the night shift. So it could either be from 8 to 10 or 10 to 12, or it could be from 6 to 8 in the evening. Um, the students log on. It's individualized as far as the, the program is concerned. Um, and they're working on skills at their level so that we're trying to close that gap somewhat and allow others to accelerate. Um, we had the Twilight program during the course of the school year, found it to be very, very beneficial. We had originally budgeted for an after-school program in person. Obviously, with, um, with the pandemic, we weren't able to, to offer that, so we decided to do it at night instead. We had a lot of children participate, which was great. We had a lot of parents participate 
And that I think was the uh, one of the best parts because you know parents are going to work every day. They couldn't necessarily be there with their students during the day, trying to get them to log on and, and you know follow programming and things like that. So this way at night, you know, uh, a parent comes home from work, they can log on with their child and uh, kind of be able to get the explanation and the lesson at the same time. You know, we had a lot of parents who said, you know, I don't remember sixth, seventh or eighth grade math, especially. So this was great. They could get the explanation from the teacher and also work with their child, which I think is so important because it allowed the parents also to kind of keep tabs on, on what was going on academically as well. So we're continuing that program. Um, you know, both of them will be starting next week. And um, the Twilight program is something that we'd like to continue on in the fall because it also gives the opportunity for students not to have to make the choice between an after-school club or an after-school sport or the academic. You know, they can participate after school. They can um, do what they want to do because we do have a lot of club offerings. Uh, but then at night, they have the opportunity then to, to work on the academics. In both examples, there's just so much thought that has gone into the preparation and how you can ensure that all the students participating are able to engage. And again, you're building that excitement because you're allowing them to do it on their time in ways that are engaging for them. So that's, that's excellent. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that. Next, I wanted to ask about the ways in which you strategically think about the students and staff you will engage for extended learning opportunities. So whether it's, you know, the Twilight program during the year or the summer learning opportunities that you're providing, how, how are you strategically thinking about the ways that you're including students, which students you're including, and then really utilizing the staff that you're able to collaborate with and, and their strengths as well. So why don't we start with Arlene on that one? Well, one of the things that we also um, took into consideration, and I, I omitted this in, in my last statements, we also have a program for our ESL youngsters because we have a very, very large uh, group or population rather of uh, ESL youngsters, and we wanna make sure we're addressing those needs as well. So that's also part of the program. And they're going to be doing some things with the, the STEM program as well, because that's going to be in person. Um, you know, one of the things that was mentioned earlier was, you know, access to technology and the, the equity issue, which is very, very important. And we want to make sure that we are addressing the needs of all of our students. Any of our opportunities that we're having, we, we try to reach out to as many of our families as possible. Um, we also have a a staff member who was working as an attendance liaison. And she spent a lot of time going out to families and talking to parents about what offerings that we had and how it would benefit their child or, or children to have them participate. We had the ability to uh, offer up to any of our families who needed technology, um, signing out a, a Chromebook for the summer. So, you know, even in terms of selection of staff, um, and, and I was very, very lucky in that my staff really wanted to do these programs and to be there over the summer, which I think is, is so important because if your teachers aren't excited about the program, how do you expect your kids to be excited about it? And I had a lot of the teachers 
who were reaching out to families as well to say, hey, this would be great if your child participated in this program. So also setting up more of that community involvement to try to get as many of our kids as possible uh, participating in programs. And I'd have to say, I think at this point, we probably have close to 50% of our student population participating in, in some program over the summer. Awesome. It's really great to hear about that, that type of participation, the way that you're strategically planning that out. How, how about you, Ambrose? Sure. Uh, ours uh, began before the pandemic hit. We began um, by surveying parents and our staff um, about the needs of the district and um, access um, ha was, a, was a big need in East Hampton Township School District. We're, we're very small. We have a segment of our population that has limited access. So um, the conversation about extended learning started uh, well before the pandemic hit. Um, and as I mentioned before, the pandemic just highlighted some areas of deficiency for us. So we began by engaging our staff and um, we um, do um, something called community of learners and that's staff teaching staff. Um, and what came out of our community of learners um, was a, a team liaison group of all stakeholders from the district. And um, one big um, push from our staff was we need to provide more support um, for extended learning for our students. And we just had to, on an um, admin end, work out what that's going to look like. So I think a, a big component of why I believe this is going to be hugely successful is that um, this was a grassroots push from our, our teaching staff to uh, provide more opportunities for our students and uh, not just the traditional opportunities that uh, we provide teachers staying in during recess or teachers staying after school, but um, thinking outside the box uh, to help those who would not be able to take advantage of those opportunities. Some kids need to run around at recess and it's better for them to stay after school. Um, so we um, are for the first time going to have a late bus in our school district that will enable our students to take advantage of the um, homework helpers or just uh, extra support. Whereas uh, before, only the kids whose parents could pick them up um, at four o'clock or 4.30 were able to take advantage of, of that. Um, so getting staff um, to buy into this was not hard because they were the ones who pushed for this. And uh, once they pushed, we started having conversations on the admin level. And then we started having conversations with our community that, uh, you know, they see our test scores, uh, they see how we perform, um, some uh, grade levels, some areas better than others, but uh, what they don't often see is the work behind um, the scores. So uh, we started having uh, public uh, meetings and having these discussions on the board level and giving parents an opportunity to give us some feedback uh, through um, our PTA and also through our uh, board of, of education meetings. And uh, what we also did um, is we started rolling out biweekly uh, bulletins, which provided information for parents on how we were going to um, meet the needs of, of their children, our students. So uh, communication, um, listening to our staff, um, as I said, the survey, and then getting feedback from um, our staff on what the program needs to look like. Um, admin will get credit for putting it together, but it should be the staff who, who gets most of the credit because they were the ones who brought this forward and they're the ones who are building the program and volunteered to uh, participate. Of course, they're gonna get paid, but we had, uh, before we posted the positions, and we have a total of 15 total summer positions, 
we had 20 applications before we even posted, which, which is amazing. And we had to make some tough decisions, but we made decisions which are in the best interest of our students. So um, the credit goes to the staff there about how we're engaging um, for um, extended learning. And uh, I just don't want that to be missed here. Communication with the community, um, but also listening to the staff because they know truly um, what our, our students need. I think that's such an important point for people to think about as they're thinking about access for all students to, to these types of learning opportunities is really building programs as a community and looking at things like distributed leadership for these types of programs and building these types of environments. And I think that that is a point that's that will be really important for folks to take away from from this podcast. So thank you for sharing that. So next question I wanted to ask is what you would say to educators thinking about extending learning opportunities in their own context. So this could be maybe a teacher who's currently working in a summer school or about to start summer school with students or maybe an administrator who's thinking about organizing these types of opportunities in uh, their own districts. So what, what advice do you have around this, around this topic for them? And why don't we start with Arlene? Um, I think one of the things that I would say is the <clears throat> what's happened this past year and a half has really made a lot of people think outside the box that what we always thought about as being um, what education should look like. And regardless whether you're a first year teacher or you've been in the business for 40 years, this was something that no one had ever experienced. And we I think it proved the fact that we don't have to stick to business as usual and the way things have always been. I think we do have students who were very successful with remote and we don't necessarily have to say, okay, remote is, is a hundred percent gone. But I think maybe looking at the school hours differently, we don't necessarily have to follow that, you know, eight to five, uh, eight to four mentality or eight to three, whatever. I think we can look at offering programs at different times, um, just like what we're doing as far as the twilight at night. Um, I think that uh, some students may respond better to even a, a morning program, depending upon what your school hours are. I think it's very important what was said about bringing parents in the mix as well, because um, we could get some ideas as far as what would benefit the families of our students. And, and that's something that we can also uh, be looking at. I know it's not a definitive answer, but I think ma making everybody sit down around the table and no idea is basically off the table, so to speak. I think we just have to look at different alternatives and look at some of the things that, that have worked this year and, and continue. Great, Ambrose? Uh, one thing I would suggest um, is um, make it fit uh, your district specific needs. And um, we had actually um, a third year teacher who um, helped build most of the program. So um, for administrators, um, you know, I would suggest to um, open yourselves up to hearing um, from 
those those staff members who may not um, have been in the district a long time, but may bring some outside ideas about how you can grow um, not your brand and also how you can best support students. Um, I believe as, as administrators um, and the, the further we get away from the classroom and I'm, I'm several positions removed as superintendent, I think we have to go back to those um, practitioners who are meeting with students regularly or communicating with parents regularly um, to get ideas on how we can um, improve on our, our practices. Um, and uh, we've talked a lot about um, remediation and supporting students, but one of the things that came out of all of these meetings, and this came from a board member and a parent, was what about the students who may be proficient, who may be doing well, what are we going to do for extended opportunities for those students? And um, I, I think Arlene mentioned that they have a STEM component to their summer program. And uh, while we're not going to do that this summer, uh, we're going to start a, a robotics club um, after school for our students um, in this upcoming school year. Uh, we're just working out the details. Uh, we do have a K to eight STEM program. But uh, we believe that, um, and this came from our, our parents and a board member and uh, staff, that um, we need to create opportunities on the other end as well for, for our, our students. Um, you know, a lot of districts get caught up and um, dealing with um, the families that are in need and the families that don't speak out much. And uh, we have to make sure that we're open um, to service and to work with all of our students, um, whether they're performing high or not, and I don't want that to get lost here that uh, we are thinking about those families as as well. So um, how do we, um, uh, I guess, suggest to other educators, please, if you're, you're a staff member or teacher, don't be uh, nervous or please share with your administration some of the suggestions that you have. And administrators, be open to um, thinking about education and extended learning um, different from what it looked like when we were actually practitioners in the classroom. So being open to that dialogue and um, and being willing to clear the way uh, for opportunities uh, for all students. You know, and just to piggyback on that, because you made such a great point, we also don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, hearing what other districts are doing, very often it, it sparks something to, wait a minute, that's a great idea. How could we modify that to meet the needs of our kids and in our district? And, you know, I am sure there are so many phenomenal things that went on this, this past year and a half or so in other districts in New Jersey. And just, you know, listening and hearing about what other people have done, um, you know, I, I also think is, is, is a wonderful way of coming up with other alternatives and, and new ideas that are maybe new to your district, but not someplace else. Thank you so much for checking out this month's episode. Before we end, I would like to thank you, our listeners, for listening. I'd like to thank the Road Forward team at the New Jersey Department of Education. I'd like to thank Elizabeth Thomas, who creates the transcripts for this episode, as well as this episode's guests. I'd also like to invite you to our hashtag NJEdPartners third Tuesday Twitter chat on July 20th at 8.30 p.m., where we'll be talking about extended learning in your context at your school or district or wherever you find yourself. Thank you so much. We look forward to continuing to connect and engage with you about educating the 1.4 million students around the state and hope to talk to you on the hashtag NJEdPartners third Tuesday Twitter chat. 
You can subscribe to the podcast channel for DOE Digest through your iPhone and the Apple Podcast app or wherever else you listen to podcasts so that you can get new episodes when they are released. Also, please leave us a review through the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone. It is the best way to help new listeners find us. Neither the New Jersey Department of Education nor its officers, employees, or agents specifically endorse, recommend, or favor views expressed by those interviewed. Discussion of resources are not endorsements. Thanks so much for listening.